And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the Skype line with us today is Brian Montgomery. He is the lead meteorologist for NOAA, the National Weather Service, in Albany. And Brian, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Oh, Dan, an honor to be with you today. Thanks for uh, reaching out to me and uh, having me on. The other day, um, you put on a, a really nice webinar, I guess you call it, where it was intending to explain the weather, particularly thunderstorms and that sort of thing, to people who are watchers. And so I thought, wow, that would be really fun to talk about uh, with Brian uh, on a show here. Um, so, Brian, get us started. Um, thunderstorms. We're coming into the time now when... Uh, quite often, thunderstorms are in the news. Um, how is a thunderstorm? Let's jump right in. How is a thunderstorm formed? What what makes makes it such that all of a sudden we hear the booming and and we see the lightning? Yeah, you need some basic things in the atmosphere for thunderstorms to develop. And the presentation that uh, you participated in was our Skywarn. Uh, weather spotter safety webinars we do every year, every season, uh, in the spring and the fall. And with our spring season about thunderstorms, the main ingredients we need are moisture, instability, and lift. Now, the main thing are moisture, of course, we need to have moisture in the atmosphere, so you see that in the form of clouds. Uh, The term instability gets thrown around a lot. Like, what do we mean by that? It's when the warmth of the land is clashing with a chill in the sky, Mm. the greater that temperature difference, the more unstable the atmosphere is. So we have two ingredients there. And the last thing we need is a form of lift. And what we mean by that is you need something to take that air near the ground and push it up into the atmosphere. And usually it's along a boundary, like a warm front, a cold front. Those are the main things in meteorology we look at for thunderstorms uh, to develop in the atmosphere. That's really neat. Um, I am in radio, as you know, and one of the, uh, can I call it a fear? (laughs) Sure. Is is that as the uh, thunderstorm comes through, it it may hit our transmitter tower and come down, and if it doesn't bleed off properly, um, we always have good grounding, but there's no guarantees. It, it, it may go through some of the equipment and absolutely destroy it. So it, it's one of the fears that broadcasters have of, you know, am I going to make it through the next thunderstorm? This stuff is dangerous, isn't it? It is. I mean, thunderstorms produce lightning, and lightning can strike as far away as 20 miles from any thunderstorm. So you may hear that phrase, lightning from the blue. Uh, that's actually true, yeah. where uh, the thunderstorm may be many, many miles away, and a lightning strike could occur out of nowhere and impact your location. So some phrases we talk about uh, within our presentation is safety. Uh, you see a flash, dash inside, but when thunder roars, head indoors. Uh, those are the <laughs> key, yeah, key phrases we discuss when it comes to safety. And as you mentioned, we're heading into the active season now, the month of May, June, July, August. Uh, it tends to be climatologically our most active period of thunderstorm weather here in the Northeast. Yes. So that's why we discuss these presentations, uh, hopefully preceding that, and to educate people, more importantly, to be a part of our Skywarn Weather Spotter Network within the Weather Service. And by having this amazing network, we're fulfilling our mission statement, which is the protection of life and property. Yeah. Well, it's a very important uh, service that you offer. 
um, we often will um, look up the weather report and share it with our listeners. Um, you post it on the website. Um, yes. Forecast.weather.gov, I believe, is the URL for it. And so um, is that your website? I believe it is. It is. the um, That forecastweather.gov, if you go to the main page, which is weather.gov, uh, you would have access to all the National Weather Service forecast offices, including us here in Albany. So if you click in eastern New York or weather.gov forward slash Albany, you would come directly to our local forecast office page. Mm. And from there, where you can get your latest forecast, when you click on a map anywhere within that map, it goes to forecast.weather.gov. Uh. And, we, and we update that database uh, continuously through a 24-hour uh, you know, day we do here at the forecast office. So, um, yeah, so that information is available across the country. So if you're going anyplace else, you could always look up the latest forecast information from my colleagues and friends at other uh, <laughs> forecast offices. So, <laughs> Yeah, well, um, we appreciate it very much. Um, another thing broadcasters have is um, we have an input to our EAS system that comes mm-hmm. from uh, a weather station as well as other radio stations. And so sometimes uh, during the broadcast day, um, it'll be interrupted with some kind of a weather alert. Uh, I am assuming that you guys feed that information somehow to um, the EAS system? Yeah, the emergency alert system, we work very closely with our uh, partners at the uh, Federal Communication Commission as well as our media partners. And when we issue these life-saving products from our office, it'll activate uh, either the weather radio or your EAS system at your radio station. And we say in the weather service that those alerts and a weather radio should be as common as like smoke detectors in everybody's home. And you want to ensure you have the latest information at your disposal to protect yourself, your family, your friends, your pets uh, from adverse weather. And that's why we're here 24 hours a day, seven days a week to uh, provide that life-saving service uh, within the National Weather Service. Now, you put in some unusual hours. I know that um, as we're as we're recording this, uh, I believe you're on a afternoon schedule, and then next week you're going to like an overnight schedule for yourself personally? Yes. Within our uh, forecast office and any National Weather Service office, uh, we do rotating shift work. So those shifts are very similar to uh, doctors, uh, fire department, police officers, uh, 911 dispatchers. We're here 24 hours a day. So our rotations here, we go through a day shift, an evening shift, and then overnight shifts. Mm. So uh, to keep that 24-hour operations going uh, here at the National Weather Service. So we all have to endure those schedules and uh, <laughs> try to ensure um, not only staying awake, of course, which I think we do a pretty good job in that, but more importantly, we know the most important forecast of any shift that we issue here is usually the midnight shift because mm. that's the planning shift for the rest of the day. So when you're waking up, your fantastic listeners are waking up, uh, they have that latest forecast to plan for their day. And for us, we're just going home to hopefully get some sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, before the thunderstorms hit us, right? So, um, you know, weather impacts us too. As meteorologists, uh, we or just as impacted as everybody else is. We lose power in our houses, um, damage on occasion when it comes to bad weather. 
um, we put ourselves in harm's way to ensure the public safety is number one. Yeah, no, it's really uh, appreciated. Um, tell us a little bit about the uh, radar that's used in, in in the weather service. Uh, can you teach us how that works just a little bit? Yeah, uh, probably easier with a visualization than describing it, but I'll do the best I can. A radar system that each National Weather Service forecast office is co-located with, it's a a big soccer ball sitting, sitting on a stand out uh, in the field or on a mountaintop. And it rotates around grabbing data. In fact, the radar is listening more than sending data out. Hmm. And from that, we could derive some mathematics and come up with something called the Doppler shift. So it's a Doppler radar. Mm. Uh, So we could determine not only the echoes that come back to the radar with intensity about whether it's rain or hail, we can also see if it's shifting with time. And that gives us an indication potentially of rotation developing within the thunderstorm. Um, From that rotation, depending on other factors we look at, we would issue those not only severe thunderstorm warnings, but then tornado warnings. From the Doppler, we also send out and have additional information sending back to us called dual pole technologies. Mm. So as it's scanning around and it's grabbing a vertical scan through the atmosphere, uh, we get like a, a positive and negatives coming back to our radar. And from that, we can see a phase change of precipitation type, which is very important not only for severe thunderstorm forecasting, but the other end of this would be winter forecasting. So we could see where that rain-snow line is. Oh, we yeah. Can actually, yeah, see the change of that uh, within our radar system as well. So uh, it's a very sophisticated system. Uh, it's been around for a while. It continuously is upgraded and enhanced. And uh, we ensure that data is uh, highly reliable and available uh, over 99% of the time. So. Oh. <laughs> I, w- I would imagine there's quite a bit of computer processing that takes place oh. <laughs> as that data comes into your system, right? Oh, yes. The technology we have, the computer technology we utilize uh, is fairly state-of-the-art, mm. and it's constantly evaluating, looking, uh, algorithms are running, and us as meteorologists are constantly evaluating that data. Maybe not so much on a day like today as we're recording this because it's a relatively quiet day. Mm-hmm. But during those uh, active days, yes, uh, we are uh, constantly evaluating all that information that algorithms come up with. I mean, it's a computer code, and you still need a, uh, a trained you know, meteorologist and a professional to evaluate that code. Right. Think of it as you know, an X-ray, where the X-ray is an amazing technology, or an MRI, and you need a professional who is trained in that to evaluate that and give us a diagnosis of that. Yeah. And that's what we do here at the National Weather Service, among many other things we use to uh, evaluate c- the code and make decisions off of that stuff. And while me as a lead meteorologist you know, is trained in all that, I have a fantastic team here at the forecast office that during adverse, even preceding adverse weather, we're constantly talking uh, about the weather looking at certain features, looking at the atmosphere, applying research that we have uh, either done ourselves or work with our SUNY Albany partners here at the Atmospheric Program, and incorporate all that into a forecast and into an analysis mm-hmm. and making decisions on. So 
Um, so yeah, we, we do that pretty well uh, here and across the entire National Weather Service organization. Well, today we're talking with Brian Montgomery, the lead meteorologist of NOAA National Weather Service in Albany. Um, does anything come to mind, Brian, um, of an unusual um, turning of the weather in your experience that you've seen that you think back out on and you say, well, that was a really unique storm. Does any anything come to the surface there? Oh, there's so many events that probably, <laughs> uh, my gosh, uh, that's a great question because I think the past like, decade or more, and I've been in this career for, for over 25 years. Oh, my. That we have, I've seen, you know, a lot more extreme weather, and I've seen a lot more frequency of extremes uh, than ever before. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of events, I mean, from last year, our record-breaking hurricane season, uh, yeah. you know, going through the alphabet and going well into the uh, the old Greek alphabet we used last <laughs> year. Um, so that was amazing. Uh, to, you know, just 10 years ago here, we had uh, Hurricane Irene that caused uh, yes. tremendous, you know, impact here. Um also, the April uh, 2011 tornado outbreak we had 10 years ago. Um, I mean, there's a multitude of different events that can go through my mind. I mean, even yeah. the, the big winter storm we had this past December, uh, right before uh, Christmas. Yeah. Uh, I measured 30 inches in my house. <laughs> and, and, then, and then a week later, it's melted, and we had a lot of flooding. Yes, so, yes. you know, we, in, in just one, in just a span of a month, we go from. Uh, extreme winter weather to fairly mild and flooding. So, so, I, so I've seen a lot of that. Yes. And in fact, even today's forecast, here we are sitting, us here in the Northeast, underneath this large dome of high pressure, and our friends and colleagues in the Central Plains and down the Southern Plains are getting inundated with extreme rainfall, like 10 to 12 inches of rain the past few days. Wow. So, um, so, yeah, it's just... The dichotomy that's occurred uh, across uh, the meteorological world, uh, it's been more notable uh, the past decade or more that I've Mm. seen than ever before. Now, I I am trying to visualize um, this um, big soccer ball, as you called it, of your radar system, going back to that. How far out can that thing see and and receive meaningful data? That's a great question. Um, As we know, the Earth is not flat. And it's circular, and the radar system where it's state where it's stationary, as a pulse were to be coming out of the radar system, it doesn't know the Earth is curving away from that pulse. Mm-hmm. So the further away uh, that pulse goes, the higher it's looking aloft. Mm. So effectively, we can see 120 miles effectively with a lot mm. of data, but. We can go out to 248 nautical miles from the radar site, which, again, that data, you're looking fairly high up in the atmosphere sure. on its lowest scan. <laughs> so um, so we utilize other radar sites to help fill in those lower gaps on occasion. And here in New York, we're very fortunate to have a lot of radar systems nearby that we integrate here at the forecast office to help fill in those gaps a bit. But more importantly, the radar, while it's a fantastic tool and a great severe weather tool to see uh a big piece of the puzzle is still our skyworn weather spotters ah and they see what's happening near the ground or on the ground the radar doesn't see that 
And so it's a great collaborative life-saving network using technology, research, and our trained spotter program to give us amazing feedback. In addition to that, taking all that data and information and compiling it and issuing life-saving products for people further downstream who are about to be impacted. So those are the things we discussed quite a bit during our Skywarn weather spotter training to uh, for them, the spotters, to realize they're a huge, integral part to the warning decision process within the National Weather Service. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for so, sure. Yeah. So we always look for more volunteers and, and, and more uh, weather spotters. And those courses, um, while we've concluded our courses for the spring season, there are some online courses that people can still take today and still get kind of an introduction into the uh, Skywarn uh, spotter program and then we'll do another set of programs in the fall for the winter season coming up. So It's wonderful. I remember years ago going with uh, one of our sons to, to a class. It was in person, and uh-huh. uh, he had a real knack for the weather. And even to this day, he, he really enjoys the weather. He's got his own little weather station at home and kind of tracks things. You know? That's great. And, That's and, great. And I, speaking of those little weather stations, some of those are yes. tied to the Internet. Do you ever use any information from them? Absolutely. In fact, we get a lot of data in our systems in between all the airport observations from those backyard weather stations. Hmm. So, yes, we do utilize that here. We also have a very amazing, fortunate program in New York State, at least, of the New York State Mesonet program. And that's run out of SUNY Albany. And they have all these sensors throughout the state, Hmm. of which each one of them is co-located with a web camera. So we can see what's happening out in the field with the observation at the same time. So that's a really cool technology oh, that yeah. the state has. And that data is all available free online, by the way. If you just did a quick search for the New York State Mesonet, it should be one of the top options that people can look at. And you can click on locations across the state and get the latest weather observation from that area. And what's that word that you're using, Mesonet? Yeah, Mesonet. It's a, it's an acronym for um, for a small scale meso network. Okay. And in meteorology, we use that acronym quite a bit for small scale networks. That's really and neat. It is really neat. It's a, it's an amazing technology that was implemented here several years ago. And on top of that, your backyard weather stations when you're hooked up to the internet, uh, we can evaluate that and look that here as well at the forecast office. Mm-hmm. So the more data the better we can provide a more detailed forecast and <laughs> observations. And more importantly, we can observe things and see things and validate some of our forecasts that we put out there as well. Today we're talking with Brian Montgomery, lead meteorologist for NOAA Weather Radio, uh, the National Weather Service. Um, sometimes um, things on the ground change very quickly, um, yes. particularly if uh, you're getting close to a tornado or maybe when a hurricane comes through. Um, what should people uh, beware of so they can protect their lives? That's a great question. There, that, that's a kind of a very loaded uh, question about your public <laughs> safety. And there's so many things that people can do. Uh, and there's a lot of great safety information off of our webpage uh, through FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, also through uh, New York State. There's a multitude of things that people can evaluate and look at because, generally speaking, you should have enough supply for yourself 
for about two to three days. Mm-hmm. And those supplies would be from your, your, your water supply, uh, you know, non-perishable foods. Um, you also probably want to have enough cash on you in case the ATM or the credit card machines are not working mm-hmm. and the power is out. Uh, having your car, if you don't have an electric car, <laughs> have a uh, your vehicle should be filled up. Sure. Um, clothing to your cell phones or technology today, having those things available and charged up and have a way to communicate that to other people as well within your family or friends so mm. everyone knows that you're safe. Uh, boy, there's other things you can do too. I mean, we can talk about like extreme heat during the summer where you want to wear like lightweight, light-colored clothing, drink plenty of uh, non-alcoholic fluids, water is the best thing for your body, uh, spend time in cool or air-conditioned places. To If you're doing outdoor work, you want to do it early in the morning or wait till late in the evening, not the peak heating of the day. Right. Um, sunscreen is important, too, to protect yourself from uh, sunburn and uh, heat exhaustion. So those are, there's a lot of things to evaluate and to look at, but everyone uh, knows these things. Just that when you're in that situation, you want to make sure your plans that you've done, you implement those plans quickly when a warning is issued for your location. Uh, when it comes to you know, tornado warnings, uh, the best place to be, well, is not being a tornado to begin with, but <laughs> if you are in that hazard or in that threat, you want to be in the lowest floor of your home and put as many walls between you and the outside of your home. Mm. Or if you're lucky enough to have a basement. Um, and when you're in the basement, you want to be underneath something sturdy. You're not down yeah. there to you know, play Xbox or PlayStation. You're there because your life is in danger. That's and right. you want to be underneath something sturdy in the event your house were to be impacted. That debris, that material above you, will begin to fall through the floor above you. So you want to protect yourself uh, as best as possible. If you're in a uh, mobile home, uh, you want to evaluate what safety areas are in your location. The key word there is mobile. It's going to move. So you want to be not a part of that move. You want to move yourself into a safe location as fast as possible. Yes. And as we mentioned right at the beginning of this uh, presentation, this interview, when thunder roars, head indoors. That's when you know Mother Nature is giving you an indication to get out of harm's way and wait for that storm to pass. Now and then I've heard of um, a case where someone is dangerously close to a lightning strike and their hair starts to frizz out. Is that true? Does that happen? It does. Um, it do, you're correct. That actually does happen. Uh, if you start feeling that, you're usually within seconds or shorter than that before a lightning strike occurs nearby or, unfortunately, mm-hmm. you. So we always tell people you don't want to be outdoors during thunderstorms. You don't no want to be yeah. You don't want to be on the tallest object either. And the other, other thing, too, here in our region, we have beautiful outdoor areas and beautiful lakes and rivers. When you're at those locations, we all know that lightning tends to strike the tallest object. Yeah. If you're in, a, if you're in the middle of a lake or a river, what's now the tallest object out there? Oh, boy, it, you're in trouble. You. Yeah, it's you. So you want to get to safe uh, harbor as quickly as possible when threatening weather occurs. More importantly, know the forecast before you're heading outside. If you notice thunderstorms in the forecast, 
you may have to adjust your plans during the afternoon uh, when threatening weather approaches. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, this has been wonderful. Why don't you give the folks um, some pointers in terms of website, and if they want to pick up uh, this program of uh, Skywarn participation, maybe this fall or even online again? Yes, there's some amazing resources on the internet that anybody could click on very easily. Our webpage is weather.gov forward slash Albany, and that brings you here to our local Albany forecast office. Uh, from there, you can get your latest forecast. You can learn more about the Skywarn program, learn about more safety information, uh, also get all the latest uh, products that we issue, whether those are uh, our forecast discussions, our uh, watches, warnings, advisories, that is all available, and then some on our webpage, including climate data as well. When it comes to our tropical program, we work very, very closely with the National Hurricane Center out of Florida. Oh, yes. And they have a fantastic web resource at hurricanes.gov. Okay. There are a multitude of hurricane information off of their website and during landfalling or forecasting hurricanes we work very very closely with the hurricane center through a lot of conference calls and a lot of information to have a very transparent forecast from local impacts to what the hurricane center is forecasting Mm. and there's a lot of collaboration that happens uh, within our agencies to ensure that message is uh, effectively communicated and transmitted out. Well, very thorough. I really appreciate this. Brian Montgomery, lead meteorologist, NOAA, National Weather Service in Albany. And thank you so much for taking a significant amount of your time today with our listeners. Oh, my absolute pleasure. If there's any additional uh, questions that people have, they could also go to our webpage and email the webmaster. That's me. And I'll be glad <laughs> to answer any additional questions or uh, help your, uh, your listeners to whatever information they may need uh, about weather or uh, where you can get that information online. It's beautiful. Weather.gov slash Albany. And you can look for Brian Montgomery. Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on today. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.